Well, good morning. I'd like you to watch this video clip, please. If you're unfamiliar with the video clip, that's understandable. It's an older movie. Beautiful movie called Shadowlands, the true story of the famous Christian theologian, philosopher C.S. Lewis, who in his many later years of his life married a woman who was dying with cancer and lost her very, very shortly afterwards, which really changed his life profoundly as up to that point, he was a man who lived out of his head, who understood theology, was able to articulate such incredible truths. I mean, we still read him today and are in awe of what he writes about or what he had wrote about. But through the, the harsh reality of loving and then losing through death, God used that incredibly deep, profound, painful experience to help C.S. Lewis not only became a man who, not only, who, who lived out of his head from, from the incredible brain that he had, but a man who was also able to access his heart. And so if you have a chance to see the movie, profound, profound, profound movie. But he begins this clip with a very simple question. And it serves as a launching pad for us today. Why risk loving when you can potentially lose that which you love? And he makes this contrast that the immature choose safety because they want to avoid pain. The mature choose the risk to love even in spite of the fact that they may lose. And the truth is, is that we do lose. Today's message is entitled, When God Turns Our Losses Into Gains. I started off with a different title. <laughs> is there anything that can be gained from our losses? And obviously it is a rhetorical question because yes, there is much to be gained from our losses. But I know that for me to start off from that vantage point, particularly with those of us who are still working through deep, deep losses, would almost be insensitive at best, cruel at worst. But today, I really do want to talk to you about the gains that God brings from our losses. And I trust that in the time that we have this morning, you will open up your heart to the Lord, because I really believe that he wants to speak to us profoundly today. You know that we have been in a sermon series entitled, Make It Count. And um, you're getting a bit of a break today, and Pastor Shannon's getting a bit of a break. He needs a break sometimes. But I do want to circle back on a text that he just kind of skimmed a few weeks ago, simply because... In preparation for this, I knew that there was still something in there that was worth going back to revisit and to look at and to open up our hearts to yet once again. And that is the reality of the losses that we face in this life and the gains that God 
can bring from them. Now, dear Shirley, where are you, sister? God. We put her on double duty today, and she, she just shined, right? Amen. God bless you. Thank you, sister. Um, she read earlier, and what I'm going to do is just focus on, on even less than what was read today. Two, three verses that I really think encapsulate the heart of what is to be shared. But focusing specifically on verses 7 all the way to 11. And it says, starting at verse 7, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. I'm just going to park there for a bit. Because I really want to talk about the reality of the losses that we face in this life. Now, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, Paul um, uses the word loss three times in such a narrow portion of Scripture. He's really trying to communicate something very clearly. He's driving home a point. And without really getting into the throes of it, he's ultimately saying this, is that loss in life is inevitable. But for the believer, losses can be turned into gains. We're going to explore that today. Now, if this were just simply an isolated verse, we would be doing harm to Scripture this morning by trying to expand on this theme and make it more than what it actually is. But you'll recall some very, very famous words by Jesus uttered at what I would call the crisis point in his journey with his disciples to Jerusalem. These words were uttered by Jesus at the point of no return. Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, A+. You didn't figure this out. God revealed this to you. But let me add to this. And he talks about how he is going to face suffering, betrayal, rejection, and ultimately death. And Peter pulls him inside and says, hey, listen, I think the sun's been beating on your head too much. You've kinda, you, you, you cannot talk this way. And then what happens? Jesus rebukes Peter and then turns around and looks at the rest of the disciples and he says to them, listen, if any man wants to follow me, or anyone wants to follow me, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his very life? Verse 26 the benefit of gaining and losing. These are the very same words in the original Greek language that Paul is borrowing from in his talk to the Philippians. Is that in life there are losses and there are gains. And for the believer who is following God, 
who made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Losses can be transformed into gains. It's a radical statement that Jesus makes. That you can gain the entire world. You can have all authority, power, riches, and literally everything at your disposal. And yet, if you reject God's gift of salvation, you have forfeited everything. It will not benefit you. Loss, gain. Now, I want to dig in a little deeper on this issue of loss because let's just be honest here for a sec. We all face losses, incredible losses, so profound, so deep, so painful, so inexplicable, and sometimes so difficult to deal with. And sometimes we can get stuck in a loss and never get beyond it. We can get stuck at a point in time when something that we deemed so important was taken away or we forfeited through a mistake or by foolishness we, we just simply let something go. And we can never get beyond that because we're stuck in that loss. I want to look at a little bit just the kind of losses that we face. For the lack of a better word, I use the word level. Now forgive me if that is an inappropriate word. I just really couldn't come up with another word to differentiate between the different levels of loss that we experience. But I want you to just bear with me for the next few moments. There's a level one loss that everybody faces whether they are a Christ follower or not. It's just the reality of the life that we live. We are born, we live a life, and ultimately, we die. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but we, we understand if we're genuine with ourselves, if we're true, that there are losses that we face in this life, whether you are rich or poor, Christian, Atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Greek Orthodox, Seventh-day Adventist, nomad, barbarian, it doesn't matter. Obviously, the loss of our youth, the loss of our innocence. There are friendships that come and go, and as much as we'd like to hang on to them and, and make them permanent, life changes, we grow up, people move on. We lose time. And some of us mourn over the years that we wish we could get back because we made bad decisions, bad choices, and, 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 and time slipped through our hands. There's a loss of opportunities. Things that came, but maybe because we were afraid, or maybe because we dilly-dallied, or maybe because we didn't take an opportunity serious enough, it was gone. And somehow over the process of time, we look back and our hearts are filled with regret because we didn't take the opportunity when it was there. Many of us in this room have understood the reality of losing a good job that we thought would have been permanent. 
We had given our energy, our time, our devotion to a company that we thought would last forever. Or we assumed that because of our loyalty, our investment, that we were good with the owners. And then all of a sudden they let us know, by the way, uh, you're being replaced by a computer or you're being replaced by a system. Or we've taken your entire department and we've shrunk it down to two people. God bless you. See you later. The loss of dreams of lifelong ambitions. And many of us understand the, the loss of health, of strength, of mobility, of, of remembering the days when we were fit and we could run and do things that today we could only think about and dream. And it's a painful loss. Please don't ever, ever minimize that. Ultimately, there is probably the deepest loss that we face when we lose someone that we love. The movie was about that. And this year we have suffered some very, very deep losses. We grieve. There's also the loss that we incur in this world simply because of evil. The irrationality of evil when life is taken, when things are done and people suffer and we stand back and we look at a tragedy and we go, well, how come? Look at what was lost here. A plane goes down in Ethiopia. We go, oh my goodness. What's the point? It's loss. But there's a second kind of loss that I think is unique to many of us here today as believers. It's the loss that we experience or that people experience when they first come to Christ. Now, I know that some of you might feel, well, I'm not really sure if that, that, that applies to me. But please understand that there are individuals who pay a tremendous price for accepting Christ. It just all depends on what part of the globe that you live in. We, all, we, we need only look at church history, look at the early church, and, and, you, and it doesn't, it's, it's not rocket science. If you converted from Judaism to Christianity, they had a funeral for you. You no longer existed in their minds. You were dead. There are certain religions today that if you convert to Christianity, not only are you dead, they want to make sure that you die. They will persecute you and kill you. And it dawned on me, you think of the words of Jesus, what, what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? And I remember I was just thinking that through and praying it through, and the very, the very opposite dawned on me that there are individuals who gain their soul but lose the world right you see there's probably not a lot of us in this room that had to give up fortune 500 salaries six digits out the point is is that for many of us we didn't lose that kind of stuff to come to christ well that really mattered but the, the, there are individuals who who literally had to give up what we would call the entire world to come to Christ. 
They gain their soul, but at the loss of a lot. And I think this is what Paul was alluding to in many ways. That he had all this pedigree behind him. He had culture. He had status. He had education. He had association. He had accomplishments. As a matter of fact, he was so good that he could look you in the eye and say, as, as for the Mosaic law, all 512 stipulations, I have not failed at any one of them. I was blameless. You want to talk about having religious arrogance. I was blameless. No fault. Clean record. Nothing to forgive. Some of you may remember the, the old song by the Who. If, you, if some of you just have a flashback to your previous years. Baba O'Reilly. There's this very, very arrogant part of the verse that says, uh, I don't need to be forgiven. Right? Pete Townsend penned these words as if to say, hey, listen, I'm going out there, I'm doing my thing, I'm going to take the world by the throat. I do not need to be forgiven. Paul embodied that at, at a certain point in his life. Anyhow, I... I can digress on this, but you understand the point. When people come to Christ, there are dramatic changes that they experience. There are individuals who really are disowned by their family. They're, they're, they're ignored. They're cut off. And many of us have, have understood that in following Jesus, all of a sudden, people look at you. They look at you different. All of a sudden, you don't do the things that you used to do. You don't go to the places that you used to go. Then all of a sudden, like, you still love everybody. You want to share your faith and your love with them. And, and all of a sudden, you're calling them and the, the phone doesn't pick up. You send a text and it doesn't get returned. You want to spend time with somebody for a coffee and you go, ah, you know what, I'm really, really busy. Um, you understand the point. That's why, I, and this is kind of like a, a shameless pastoral plug here. That when people come to Christ, when they come here and have an experience with Jesus and they're part of the family, you know what? It is really upon us to rally around them and to love on them and to welcome them and to be... Why? Because they might be giving up a lot and they need the Christian family to surround them. Right? And I'll leave that there. But there's an, another loss that we, we can incur and I, and I call this a level three loss. Level three loss is unique to followers of Jesus. Very, very unique, as a matter of fact. But these are the things that are within our control. But if we're going to follow Jesus more intimately and closely, then we're going to have to make space and room in our lives for that. As a pastor over the years, especially when I was working with young adults, I used to get frustrated when young adults would come into my office and say, Pastor Mark, you know, I want more God, I want more God, I want more God. And I'm going, yeah, okay, let's pray. Let's say, God, give them more of you. You know, give them more, more, more of your spirit. More. And I remember one day kind of waking up going, what on earth am I praying like that for? 
When you came to Christ, you received everything. So while we're praying, God, I want more of you, you know what he's praying? I want more of you. You see, the issue is not that God only gave you like 35% of himself or or 10% of himself or 50% of himself. He gave you all of himself. But it takes an awful long time for him to get all of you. Right? Because we have so many areas of our life that are quarantined and sectioned off and do not touch, do not enter, uh, no trespassing allowed. And God says, I want uh, this part of your life, I, I, I really want to be Lord over this. No, 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 as far as my entertainment, my leisure activities, the things I do when I'm not at work, when I'm not at church, they're off limits to you. And God says, okay, fine. I will not force myself into any section of your life uninvited. But that is the degree to which you have shut me out of your life. Until that part of our life falls apart. And then we cry out to God, oh God, please, can you, can you, can you come here? And my finances are in a wreck. Can you please come and salvage this? And he says, well, I thought you kicked me out of there years ago. You didn't want me in your finances, that, that it was your paycheck, your salary. It was up to you to do what you want to do with it. The truth is, folks, is that we all have areas of our life that are hard to let go of. We are afraid to lose and give them over to God, whether it's a trust factor, whether it's something growing up, whether it's something that's been modeled for us, that we see in our families. We we, we just understand that certain things we feel much, much better to remain in control of. And God says, fine, if you want to be in control of, then you are in control of this. But that's just the problem, right? When you are in control of something, you are ultimately responsible for it. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize that I do not have the wits, the wisdom, the energy, the power, the discernment, the strength, the experience, the expertise to manage every part of my life with 100% accuracy. I can't. Part and parcel because it's not my life anymore. I gave it to him. In quiet an area. Are you, are you with me? Okay, I, I know. It's, it's getting quiet. See, the problem with being... Um, here's one of the, you know, these March break preachers, right? I'm, I'm the March break preacher. Pastor Shannon's not here. See, we all suffer the same fate. I've said it every year, and I get to say it one more time, because I only get to say it once a year. There is no March break for the March Broke the beautiful song that Tyler led us in, I Surrender, is profound. Because ultimately, our daily walk is that. It is one of surrender. There will never be an instance in your life where you will be able to look at God, Jesus, and say, you took that from me. You, you, I, I, I didn't want you in that part of my life and you, you went in there like a bull in a china shop and you upended it all and you just, you, know, you ruined it. No, he won't. 
He doesn't take anything from you, but he does say, if you want me to be in this part of your life and to do with it what I know to be best for you, because I can see the end from the beginning, because I can see your life, I can see your children, your grandchildren, I can see where all of your lives are going to be. Trust me that I can take this part of your life, and you may not understand what I'm doing with it. It may not compute with your wisdom, your logic, your knowledge, your experience, but I know what to do with this part of your life because you don't know what to do with this part of your life. In 1984, when I first surrendered my music to God, I, I wanted to be the best bass player ever. And I just held on to that. I said, God, you know, I went to music school and, and I, I was just bound and determined to be the best bass player ever. And I studied. And I, you know, the craziest thing is the harder I worked, the more I, time I invested, the more energy I spent on becoming a better bass player, the worse my musical career became. And I went through a profound time of reconsideration, reevaluation, and surrender. And that's when I came to Christ. But it didn't just end there. Because all of a sudden now I was traveling with a Christian group and I was traveling all over the United States and Canada. And we had opportunities to go to England and Europe. And man, it was like the sky was the limit. And the thing was, is that my music was being a bass player, it was opening up doors for me until I came to another crisis point. And, my, and, and it was like Jesus was saying, listen, if you want to play bass, I'll let you play bass. But do you want to teach my word and see lives transformed? I said, I do. Can I do both? Well, what do you think it takes to be a good bass player? 24-7 devotion. What do you think it takes to be a servant of mine to the church? 24-7 devotion. <laughs> you can't do both, Mark. But I'll let you choose. And it was a, It's not that it was a hard choice. It was an easy choice because I was so in love with Jesus that everything paled in comparison, even my bass guitar. But over the years, he's granted me just opportunities to play, and, and my, my kids are playing. Anyhow, I, 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 I could digress here, but the point is, is that there are times when it looks like a loss, a surrender. I have to give up. I've got to take my hands off of something. I've got to let go. And the world says, man, you threw your talent away. You, you lost. You lost out. And God just turned that into something far beyond I could have ever dreamed. My point, my purpose are this morning, very simply on just examining these three levels of losses, is that even though we're strangers and exiles here, and the world is not our home, we're in the world and not of it, it does not make our loss any less significant or emotionally meaningless. We, as believers, I really, really believe that we experience loss at a much deeper level than any other human being on the face of the earth. That's why it, there are times in our lives when we surrender to things to God, the world, or maybe people who, who are, are connected to us, who know us, look at us as if we're an enigma. What are you, why are you doing that? 
if they perchance find out what we have given in terms of our tithes and our offerings, they're going to look at each other. Are you nuts? Why would you, why would you take your money and just give it like that? Don't understand. But God transforms the things that we surrender, the things that we lose, we give up, we let go, and he does something wonderful with them. There are times when we have to surrender the good for the better. But here's the reality that I think um, happens to a lot of us. And I think this is the turning point in the message and I want to address this. Is that we can get paralyzed by loss. We can get stuck in them and never get beyond. For some of us, there are losses that we have incurred and endured and experienced and we have never gotten beyond that. I have a friend who lost the use of his legs and has never been able to really get over that. He has not been able to forgive God and ultimately it has cost him a lot. Now do you think that's easy? Do you think that losing the use of your legs in the prime of your life is a cakewalk? Like, oh, I lost my job, I lost my legs. There's no comparison. But he got stuck there and was never able to move beyond. And he lost his marriage, he lost his friends. It just became a very, very dark place he was never been able to get through. I'm just saying, like, we... A quote that has haunted me since I was a young adult kind of goes like this. The desire to have can soon and quickly be replaced by the fear of losing. The desire to have, when met, can be quickly lost by the fear of losing. You see, there are things that we have today, and if we contemplate losing them, they would leave us in a, in a mental knot. We would be living in fear and panic every day. When Karen and I started having children, the desire to have children, oh, I can't wait to have kids. And then the first time that illness threatened her life, well, you think the sky had fallen out, that it was, it was Black Monday, Black Tuesday, Black Wednesday. Right? And that is the reality of the life that you and I live in every day. We're not exempt from that because we are Christ's followers. Now, Paul, in using this word loss, and then he uses the word gain, he's actually using banker's terms. Now, talk about somebody being cerebral, right? I mean, you're talking about something very profound. He's talking about the things that he has suffered, literally suffered, lost over. And, and less, you know, we probably think that he was a bleeding heart. He says, well, you know, it's kind of like being a banker. You know, you take your, your ledger, and on one side you've got assets. The other side you've got liabilities, gains, losses. But there came a point in Paul's life where he looked at his losses and he realized that he could no longer look at them through an earthly mindset. 
he realized that only through God and because of Christ, because of his relationship with him, that losses now are turned into gains. This great 180. All of a sudden, Paul's realizing that there were things that in his life he held on to for dear life that he couldn't let go. They, were, they meant everything to him. And he's going, hold on a second. These things that were gains, they're losses now. They're actually liabilities and, and detrimental. But now these things that are, are losses, God turns them into a gain. He does something completely different with the things that I have lost. In the very same verses that I read, he uses another word three times, and it's the word consider. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Consider. It's a powerful word. As a matter of fact, it shows up in Philippians already a few times where it says, consider others to be better than yourselves. He uses it to refer to Jesus who considered being equal with God, not something to be held on to for dear life in becoming human, that he was actually able to surrender the independent use of like, his godness. Like He just didn't go around doing God tricks you know, just to satisfy people. Anything divine that Jesus did, he was permitted to by his Father. He never functioned independently of his Father. So God turns our losses into gains. Now please understand that the, the losses that Paul faced were legitimate. He was completely stripped of everything and left with nothing to begin his journey. And yet, in that place of absolute loss, God gave him, God gave him in Paul's language or Paul's understanding, God gave him everything. He gave him Jesus. Now, I don't want to minimize what Paul lost. As a matter of fact, he actually comes out and says it. With regards to Jesus, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. It's not like when Paul had everything stripped of him at his conversion experience, when, when the entire religious world who knew who he was, when he was kind of like the spiritual Bill Gates, so to speak, or the spiritual Oprah, uh, he was cut off. As a matter of fact, there was a death sentence put on his head. He lost everything. He was stripped of nothing. Stripped of everything. He was left with nothing. He felt that. He didn't belittle it. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't think, well, this is not important. He felt the pain of losing everything. But over time... In his relationship with Jesus, as, as he's hearing God speak to him, as he's starting to look at his life 
through a new set of lenses. As the Holy Spirit's giving him insight, he's realizing, hold on a second. I used to think that I was so close to God because I was Jewish, because I was from one of the most esteemed tribes of Israel, because as far as morality, I was blameless, because my education was flawless. I had all these things going for me. And then the horror dawned on him that all of these things that he thought were the ultimate achievements and accomplishments in this life were the very things that would have sent him to hell because he had trusted in them. And God stripped them all away and, realized, and helped him to realize, as a matter of fact, in his own words, these things I now consider as dung. In other words, the, the, the Greek word here for this, this, your Bible might say dung, some Bibles might say waste. It's actually the word used for what's in the toilet. It's the word used to describe a decomposing, rotting corpse. So Paul's saying my, my heritage, my Jewishness, my accomplishments, my morality, my blamelessness, my education, in comparison or in light of the fact of having Jesus now, it's, it's what's in the toilet. Pretty intense words, right? Pretty intense words. The point that he's trying to say is that he understood that the very things that he had trusted that he thought were so essential, that were, that would, everything that a man would think makes a self-made man, Paul realized were the very things that were literally pushing him away from God. And I'll tell you, in my 25 or 30 years of pastoring, I have met individuals who thought they are better than other individuals because of certain parts of the country that they're from or certain parts of, of where they studied, or because they're in a certain kind of job, because, they've, because of a certain kind of level of education, that, they, they, that, that somehow God looks down on them as being a, just a notch above anybody else, as perhaps better. Well, you know, you studied at Harvard, and you're an accountant, and, and you know, like millions of dollar decisions are made by you. you you're, like, you're really valuable I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here today. But that does not bring you even one atom closer to God's esteem of you. That the person lying in an AIDS hospice dying today who's accepted Christ is as important and close to the heart of God as the person who's making million-dollar decisions in a missions agency. We see, in our, in, our, in our way of assets and losses, checks and balances, we don't see it that way. It shows up in the way we treat people. Losses. Gains. So let me go quickly, because time is running away, as it always does. Paul says, there are three gains that I have discovered in the context of my loss that have made all the difference. The first gain 
is the gain of having a right standing or status with God. The point is that Paul says that everything that he relied upon, that he thought got him in with God, his Jewishness, his achievements, his spirituality, his education, he realizes that they were actually detrimental. But now, what makes him right with God is the righteousness of God that is given to him as a gift through Christ. So that I may, be, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. Now you say, well, yeah, la-di-da, that was good for Paul, but what does that mean for me? That means today, oh boy, I, I really, you know, I, I was... I think I could probably get in a lot of trouble by saying this. Your background, whether culturally, racially, intellectually, vocationally, even religiously, does not make you any closer to God and acceptable to God than the corrupt, broken, pagan atheist who walks in here and says, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Well, you don't understand. I have been in Pentecost for 55 years of my life. I'm, I'm actually in historical books written about Pentecost. Look at my, my family tree. We, we've, we were one of the first pioneers when Pentecost came to Canada. We were planting street missions and we had missionaries go all over the world. And you think that that's what brings you closer to God? That that is what makes him smile on you more than anybody else? The moment our faith shifts away from pure trust in Jesus for right standing with him to anything, our status, our culture, our, 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 our education, our goodness, our missions giving, our church attendance, our knowledge of the Bible, the moment our faith shifts away from faith and trust in Jesus to these other things, we're no different than Paul saying, I'm a righteous Jew. No different. And it happens so subtly. It happens so subtly. Now, this was supposed to be an encouraging message, but I'm kind of feeling like, hmm, got like an exhortational side to this, you know? But who knows? Maybe somebody needed to hear that. But we're going to get encouraging very quickly because the plane's landing. The second gain is the gain of knowing that, uh, uh, the gain of having rich intimacy with Jesus. Now, Paul says this, everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of, your Bible will not say this. It does not say the Christ. It just simply says, because of Christ. The actual Greek New Testament says, because of the Christ. In other words, when he met the Messiah on a Damascus road, everything in his past in terms of its importance and privilege and status was eliminated. Secondly, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, that I may, be, that I may gain Christ 
Then he goes on to say in verse 10, my goal is to know Christ. The point is, is that for Paul, knowing Jesus, closest to Jesus, intimacy with Jesus, was the, was the treasure of all treasures. That in comparison to anything that he achieved and wanted and did here on earth, nothing was as valuable as knowing Jesus personally. For us, there are losses we experience simply by virtue of coming to Christ and following him. But it doesn't take long before we start realizing, but these things that, that I thought were important are not really important. Why? Because when I pray, I am hearing the voice of the living God speaking to me. He has changed my ambitions. He has changed my appetites. He has changed my aspirations. He has changed the things that I was attached to. He, 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 he transformed everything. And now all of a sudden, the things that I longed for, that I thought were important, they don't matter. My life has been made simple because of Jesus, not more complicated. When you realize that you can be talking to the Son of God continuously in prayer, that you can have the kind of relationship with Him where He is closer than a companion, a confidant, a deep friend, that he can literally be guiding your life and speaking into your life, not only doing things in you, but through you that make eternal difference, then you start realizing the things that you value in this life, you can let them go. You can count them as loss because of what you now gain in Christ. The next slide, please. The third gain is the gain of knowing that God will redeem our losses in Christ. And this is the thing that I think probably makes it or breaks it for a lot of individuals. And this is what Paul says. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. When I first came to Christ, I had an old King James Version Bible, one of those big, thick ones. I mean, the beauty of having one of those big, thick King James Version uh, uh, Bibles is that you could not only grow spiritually, but you could actually grow physically by just working out with it. The thing was so big that I could do, I, I could do, you know, uh, what do we call barbells, fletch? Well, you work out at the gym, you know, curls there. Somebody said it. I could do arm curls with my King J KJV. <sighs> right? I mean, it was an old Bible when I dropped it on the floor. Dust would come out and bats would fly. But, you know, it was, it was a big Bible. But I remember as a young man landing on this passage one night. I was in New Brunswick. Everybody had gone to bed. It was a 1 o'clock in the morning. And... I knew God had been dealing with my heart, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop reading the Bible. As a matter of fact, it was like a four-day experience that I wasn't reading the Bible. The words were speaking to me. And I held my Bible open, and I was sobbing, 
as I was going through Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and go back to Galatians and back and forth. I wasn't reading my Bible. The words were talking to me. I don't know how else to explain it. And I remember I landed on Philippians 3.10 and it just said that I may know him. I may know him. And I am not exaggerating. I went to bed for about the next year and a half every night with my big bodybuilding Bible on the side of my pillow and my hand resting on Philippians chapter 3. Sometimes going to bed literally crying myself to sleep because I was in such agony to want to know Christ. The, the amazing thing is that when you're young in the Lord and you've got all kinds of zeal and passion and energy, God, God's got a lot of patience with you, right? It really does. Because see, the rest of the passage is also equally important. See, the rest of the passage kind of goes like this. And experience the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be made conformable unto his death, if I might attain to the resurrection by any means. You see, I love the idea of power. I remember being in deliverance sessions with the pastoral staff and addressing demons and things happening. And, and I remember being with, and I'm not exaggerating here, being with individuals and we're praying for people and we're watching their body parts change. Man, the power was beautiful and wonderful. But I completely missed it. And it just about shipwrecked my faith at an early age. You see, it is the power of his resurrection. And God pours his power, resurrection power, into things that die. Right? He doesn't make alive things that are already alive. Things die that he brings back to life. The point I'm trying to say is that in this spiritual journey, and I know that many of you have been there, that there are things that God has asked you to lay down and things that you almost, you almost died in a process of surrendering back to God and relinquishing and giving over to Him. And you look back now and you say, you know, this, this almost felt like a death, a death of a dream. I wanted this so bad, it was in my care and I couldn't let go, and God asked me to let go, and I let it go, and it felt like a death. And then years later, God gives it back to you, or it comes back to you in a different form, in a different way, and you go, oh my goodness. You see, God brings dead things back to life, literally, physically, metaphorically. And some of you tonight, or even here to say, it's like you've got written over your soul, disappointed with God because there are things in your life that you, you turned over to him that are essentially in your heart and mind dead and you're waiting for the day when they'll be resurrected and you're believing you're holding on to promises and it hasn't happened yet and I just want to tell you today that God makes dead things come back to life and I could tell you story after story after story but I can't we're out of time and I am out of time. So let me just close this by saying, what kind of losses have you experienced in your life that you are still grieving over? 
Has God given you the grace to be able to process these losses, or are you still paralyzed by them? You can't get beyond them. A relationship that died. And life has moved on. People have moved on. But you're still there, stuck in that pain and in that loss. Now, I'm not minimizing what you're feeling. All I'm trying to say is that God wants to meet you in that and transform that. Present losses. There are things that Christ is still looking at you and saying, will you surrender that to me so that I can take what you're holding on to and turn it into a real gain, not something that you think is important to you? And are there losses in your life now, even as Christ followers, that you have no choice but to wait and to trust God for the gain? I know people will come to their own conclusions when I say this. I have a picture of Ben Laird on my desk and a note. It's been on my desk ever since the funeral. And every day when I'm in my office, I look at it. And I say, Ben, I miss you. You are good to my sons. You're a good comrade up here. And Ben's one of many, many individuals that I know one day I will eventually see again. And I'm trusting and waiting and hoping. That is a loss to me, felt much, much more deeply and profoundly by some in here. But that is a loss that is a gain. But there are many, many other things, losses that you have felt, maybe not as severe, that God is saying, I'm turning these into gains, but you have to trust me and you'll have to wait. Will you? Today, we can have right standing with God. We can have real intimacy with Christ. And we can have the assurance that God will redeem our losses and turn them into gains. But we'll have to trust Him and we'll have to wait. Amen? Tyler, would you come, please? I close with this quote by Jim Elliott. Many of you know who Jim Elliott is, 29-year-old missionary who in his youthful zeal and energy and passion took a handful of young missionaries, went to Ecuador to reach a tribe. He no sooner got on the beach and they filled his body with spears, killed them, killed his friends. Jim Elliott has this beautiful quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which, that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives, gives back to Jesus what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that we have probably belabored the point today. And certainly it has not been done presumptuously. There are individuals, brothers and sisters, who... In the words of that U2 song, they're stuck in the moment and they can't get out of it. They've incurred a very real loss. Maybe it wasn't the death of someone they deeply loved, but it was a loss, an opportunity that was gone, a friendship that they 
genuinely thought would last forever and it was taken away? Or maybe it just, it just didn't last. Our life is full of losses, Lord. There are probably some of us who will not be here this time next year. There are jobs that we have now we may not have next year. There are opportunities, there are things that we're doing now that we may not have the freedom to do next year at this time. So we can't live in a world where we can isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves from loss. We are all growing. The children that we love, we watch them laugh and play. We close our eyes and the next day we're standing at an altar giving them away to a future son-in-law. We have no control over these things. And God loss and letting go hurts because we all want everything to stay the same. We, it's like a little dollhouse. We want to put all the pieces in the right place and just kind of say, now don't move, stay. And yet we realize that that's not life. We want our health to remain the same. We don't want every new sickness and, and challenge and problem to become the new normal. We want to go back to when we were free and mobile and footloose and and energetic and yet we know that that's not life. Dear Jesus, you see people here today, including myself, who have a hard time dealing with the losses that they have incurred. It's painful and they can't get out of it, they can't get over it, they can't get beyond it. And I know you want to heal them. You also see individuals who've been crying out to you, they want to get closer, and you're saying, okay, I want to get closer to you too. But you spend about 20 hours of your week in front of a television set when you could be spending them with me. So you choose. There are individuals who are hanging on so tightly to their finances that the ability to be generous, the ability to give, to care for others, forget about the church, just to be generous to those around them. They want to, but they can't seem to. God, give them grace and strength to be able to let go. That in letting go, they're not losing, they're gaining. And there are individuals whose painful losses now are so deep that it is really a daily choice to get up and to trust you that you will redeem this loss. That the emptiness that they feel, the loneliness that they're enduring will one day be turned into joy. They have to trust you and it's hard. Lord, we are a needy people. 
we need you to make gains out of our losses. Would you come through your Holy Spirit and do that in this place, in this day, in our midst? I'd like to pray with you. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. I know that we have come to the end of our time. If you have to leave, then by all means, you're dismissed. But for those of you who who just simply need prayer, you need God to touch you in your season, your particular situation of loss, Nobody has to know what it is. But you need God to come through and to touch you. Our altar time will be open. Please come. We'll pray for you. We won't belabor this. But we really want you to experience the gain that only Christ can bring. To replace the loss that you have filled. And the greatest gain that he can give you this day is to give you Jesus for the loss that you do have. And if you've never made that decision to invite him into your life, then today would be that perfect opportunity to allow Christ to come in and to take all the things that you think you have lost in your life Let him come and transform this and change this and turn it into gain. Amen.